You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Jim Taddy here. Welcome to Leaf Sky Episode 41. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. This is called the Going, Going, Gone edition of Leaf Sky because, as you know, the Leafs have been eliminated and the Habs will go on to the second round against Winnipeg. Our guest today, Bill Waters, former Leafs assistant general manager, and Gus Gutzeros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Before we get going, the second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot of up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to ten grand in total prizes, up for grabs each day. The best part is it's free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during the day's basketball games to track your results through the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first, that kind of thing. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your own convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. So head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at the huge cash prizes. The promo code is THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. So here's the hockey story. What can I say? It's pretty obvious. You have a 3-1 lead. You lose the series four games to three. You literally play the same way in each of the three games. In fact, you put air in the Montreal tires in each game. You don't start well in game five. You admit that. You don't start well in game six. I know those are overtime losses, but, boy, this is an opportunity to stretch your stuff. You've earned it. You're up 3-1. Nothing happens in game seven. Well, I'm afraid we've seen that a lot of times before. Sometimes the Leafs were the underdog. This time they were the favorite. They just had no answer. They could not cut inside and get close to Carey Price to cause him some trouble. They spent the entire Last three games on the periphery, and you can't win hockey doing that. Simple analysis. If you're a Leafs fan, I assume you are. If you're listening to Leafs Guy, you have your own thoughts on this. I'm not going to tell you what to think. It's against my principles. But we have some interesting conversations to maybe add to what you're already thinking, like former Leafs assistant general manager Bill Waters. So here we go again. 3-1. The Habs win the game, and 4-3, they win the series. That's three consecutive games where the Leafs were totally stymied. When you watched that game last night, what were you thinking, Bill? Well, I, I was frustrated for the for the Leaf fans because I really thought this was a big opportunity uh, to have at least one of the monkeys off their back. But I, I, I was so disappointed in key times when you say, okay, now's the time to get the goal. And to open the third period, the Leafs had a two-man advantage. And I don't recall in my life in hockey a more pathetic power play than what was put on for those two minutes. And and you know what? 
they're all responsible for the display that they put on. So, I mean, it, it almost looked as if they weren't prepared. It almost looked as if they had nothing new to show. It almost looked like they were worn out. I'm, I'm beginning to think they might be a little tired. Yeah, they couldn't go to the bag of tricks because it was empty. That, that's how I viewed it. And, and I got, you know, when I saw the Gallagher goal go in, I thought, well, that's just the worst thing that could happen here because I don't see, I don't see a, a third consecutive rally in this game. No, no. And you know what? It was a bad goal, and it was too bad uh, for Soupy because he yeah. played as well as he could play. And if his teammates had, they wouldn't be talking this way. Yeah. But you just uh, you have to look at team structuring and how you're going to build your team. Are you going to build your team around uh, Mitch Matthews and Willie Nylander and uh, John Tavares? If you are, fine. But keep in mind, Old adage, show me a good goaltender, and I'll show you a good coach. And if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, the really the Montreal series tells you that uh, this is what you can get away with in the NHL. If you have a, a pretty good, well, an industrious group of forwards, a really good defense, and a superb goalie, you can cancel out offense. This is not a breaking story. This has been going on in the league since they start freezing water. The defense and speed will win most times. Uh, yes, so, and, so th- and they've decided to go top-heavy, so that's, that's their, that's their philo- uh, philosophical difference right there. And you know what, Jim? And when, when I observed it in the bubble with Pittsburgh, Toronto was out. I was watching my second favorite team, and I, I couldn't get over the frustration that the Penguins were experiencing with uh, Carey Price, and it, it, it happened again. So I'd always had in the back of my mind, I think Price could beat anybody. And then you have to have a coach that will make his players play a style that's coincident with the goaltender. And that's, that's, that's a marvelous style from the goaltender. But you've got to be careful. You've got to be in position when you're uh, in your own zone. You can't expect them to stop everything. And I think that the Montreal team did a good job of that. And really – from a talent standpoint, they don't even compare to the Maple Leafs, other than I think their defense is superb to theirs. Uh, the Leafs yeah. defense just let itself down. But uh, that, it's, 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 it's a team that obviously fooled its fans and itself for a long time this season. And uh, you go back and we talk about the Edmonton series where the Leafs just manhandled them. The Winnipeg series, the Leafs did the same. And they couldn't do it against Carey Price. So get yourself a goaltender before you want people to call you a good coach. Yeah, well, and that's true. But, you know, here's here's the problem. So when they go into the offseason and they're going to want to re-sign Hyman, and, and let's let's just assume that that's the natural course of events. Once they do that at five, between five and six, then what they have is five forwards that will soak up 45 to $46 million. Yes, sir. It, it, it does, the problem doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. And, and all you do is increase frustration because playing the game at the forward position in the regular season is entirely different than playing the game uh, at the forward position against the Montreal Canadiens. And the Montreal Canadiens have a tradition of playing that way. They don't play that. They, they can play that way, lose to Ottawa 2-1, to one, beat Ottawa one nothing. But here they are playing the Leafs, the best team in their division, 
and they're not allowing them to sniff. They're dead, and when they get a shot, and they got a lot of good chances, Price is there. He's there. He's able. He's positioned well enough to play the puck like he owns it, and I don't take anything away from Carey Price's superb abilities. He's a wonderful goaltender. It's too bad that uh, age is starting to catch up with his injuries, and he has them too frequently. But if he's healthy, your team is never out of it. Well, and let's be honest. Let's go back to the original division setup. Throw up the North and, and go back to how the division was set up before the pandemic and the way it'll, it'll be in the future. Uh, we always said that you have to have the best goalie to, to hope to get in to advance in the Stanley Cup final. And that was always the league problem. Not that they were they had bad goaltending, but they didn't have the best, and that's always going to be an issue. Well, you know, you, it's so easy retrospectively to come up with at least partial solutions, hmm. but the Leafs got the accent on the wrong syllable. Yeah, and uh, they didn't act on it. They put uh, Jack Campbell in, who was a more than adequate replacement, not to win games but just to play goal well enough so that the Leaf team could score five and only have three against them. And that, that was not, didn't occur a lot. Soupy Campbell, I think had a a great year and yet he was, he was by comparison unable to even be put on the chalkboard with, uh, with price. But that's where the Leafs, you know, when they're structuring a team, uh, they have to say, okay, we've done this before. Let's not do it again. And they keep repeating it. They get the, the the guy who has no playoff experience, who gets maxed out on his contract at 22 years old. They do the same with the second player on the same team. And so now they're burdened with $23 million in salary on two players who between the two of them in seven games scored one goal. Yeah. Now that's a lesson I hope that they take, I hope they take it to school and, and uh, have some kind of a different approach to how they're going to structure their team, how they're going to put it together. And uh, no disrespect to the older players, but I was disappointed because of Simmons not playing at all. He carried them for a long time until he broke his hand. He's the guy that turned them around. No respect to that. He barely got on the ice. And uh, Spezza should have been playing a lot more. What I couldn't understand as well, Early in the game, they weren't using Nylander. On the, they just didn't put him up on the front line. You've got to get the, the first goal of the Canadians if you want to have any kind of a game with them. Otherwise, you mean, they just snuffle you. Yeah, you mean playing with Matthews and Marner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Coach, the, Coach, said, he the, Coach said he didn't like how, how that looked on Saturday. But, you know, you need, I know what you're saying. You need a goal. A goal, yeah. a goal that at least play the scoreboard well. Well, when you're the best team and your strength is is goal scoring, is offense, is puck possession, you better have one of your best puck handlers. I'm not talking about digging the puck out of the corner because that's important. Hyman's position with the team is a very important one. But the first goal is the big goal. As soon as they scored it, everybody in the house said, okay, this is going to be a long, tough night, and it was. Yeah, that's for sure. Crazy. Um, well, it's 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 crazy to the point where something has to be done. Not for me, not for you. It has to be done for the fans who have so loyally followed the Maple Leafs through thick and through thin and get a disappointment like this thrown at them 
that is just about too much to handle. It's very difficult to rationalize the fact that the Leafs lost to the Canadians in seven games, including the last three. Well, yeah, and the last the last three are eerily similar. I mean, the, the look on Austin Matthews' face and Mitch Marner's face at the end of that game was shocking. I mean, they just they had nothing left. They were totally bewildered. Well, you know, it was strange. Uh, <clears throat> Dominic Moore was doing the color on TV. I'm sure you heard him at some point or watched him. And he made a very interesting comment in the game on uh, on Saturday. He said, I've been watching Austin Matthews, and he said they've got him playing deep in his own defensive zone. He's got to come back as a centerman, take care of business back there, and then if they get the puck, go into transition and fly up the ice. He said he's got no transition. (laughs) He's out of gas. And that's a real bad sign, Jim, from my standpoint. I, I know that these guys, when they're in shape, they don't have any trouble with transition. They go for 45 and get off. Now, that's the Leafs may have been playing their players too long. I don't know. At a time like this, it's difficult to put your finger on it, and everybody's entitled to his own opinion. But I think the Leafs, if they're going to use Austin Matthews, they better make sure that his VO2 comes in at training camp in the mid-50s or low-60s. And that's their demand. There's no other criteria. We don't, score, we don't care if you score 50 goals in training camp. We want your VO2 at 58, 50, in, in, in the area where he could skate almost all night because they've got to use him almost all night. He's got to score, and as a center iceman, he's got a defensive responsibility. And if, as Dominic Moore says, the guy doesn't have anything to go when he gets the puck, that's not good news for a puck possession team. I find that shocking because they've got all this health science department and they've got everything calculated down to the final exhale. It's hard to believe that that, that would be the case. But, I mean, he knows he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's looking at. Yeah. Well, no, no that's right. And, and I, I stress that it's his professional professional opinion. And he, he's... He, he does a wonderful job of passing on, passing on useful information. And, I mean, if that's not the case, well, then there must be something else wrong. But yeah. Austin Matthews, the lead hand, the Morris Richard has got to go in the offensive zone 90 miles an hour. And he can't be held up by holding the other sentiment in the other end, keeping him away from getting back to cover. And uh, I just... When I heard that, I thought, oh, that might explain part of why Matthews has only got one goal. Hmm. Either not strong enough, can't shoot it, or, he, you know, he's, he's out of gas. And it's too easy to explain it that way, uh, and I hope it's not true. But it's certainly something, as you say, Jim, with all the science that we have today, wouldn't take much to check it. Yeah, it's just an odd, I mean, the whole look of that top line, because it didn't do much over seven games was, was odd. The Marner situation goes back a number of playoffs. I think it goes back to 2019 was the last time he scored a playoff goal. I think it was early in, in the round. I mean, that's just an inordinate number of games. And I mean, I don't know how, how you fix that. I, I was thinking, well, do you, do you add, like try to find a Tom Wilson type to play on the left side of that line? I mean, but still the, the guys have to do it. The two guys have to do it and they're not. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think they, I don't think you'd need any help. They've, they've got as good a guy in, in uh, 
uh, Zach Hyman as they're going to get from an uh, an affordability standpoint. They can't afford to pay for Tom Wilson to be the tough guy. But I just – Marner's small, and you when when you play the way the Montreal Canadiens play, they make sure they hit you. They make sure they mark you. They make sure they keep track of you. You are under surveillance the whole game, and it's not easy doing that at five foot eight. Yeah, well, that's true. And, and um, you know, the fact of the matter is when we talk about the Leaf veterans, Corey Perry did a really nice job of hitting people like Sandine on a regular basis and the goal he got in the power play. I mean, where does Corey Perry make his money? Right where he was. And yeah. there's no, nobody trying to get rid of him. I mean, that, that, he, he's made a career on standing right there. That's right. And, and, he, and, you know, that's the other thing. Is it, are the Maple Leafs doing what they're told? Well, that's, yeah, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And, and uh, if they are, then there's got to be a change in philosophy. And if they aren't, there's got to be a change in coaching. Now, that, that's an interesting premise because I think in most cases, I know certainly when the basketball team struggled and they had the Raptors had their first round and playoff struggles over the years, and the management admitted they needed a culture change. And they traded a pretty good player and brought a pretty good one back in on the short term and fired a coach who was coach of the year. I mean, these are yeah, gutsy, was, gutsy decisions, right? Yeah, that was that was a big move. That was that was an intelligent move, and obviously one that had been made uh, uh, after a lot of uh, soul-searching because they were disappointed in the results. And I, I don't know if the Leafs are going to do that or not. I really don't. And I, I know that when Shanahan was sent down to fire Babcock, the advice was, you know, the Raptors have won. We expect nothing less from you. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, that's, I, I didn't hear that. I just heard that was said, but that, that's how, that's how disappointed I can assume the board is with the result because uh, they're like anybody else. They're not fans, but they are fans. They want their team to win. And when they pay the kind of money they do uh, to have players help them win, they shouldn't be disappointed uh, that they you know lose three straight to lose a series. Four to three. I mean, it, it's the worst possible way. Well, I, I guess I want to go back to the Raptors again because of that Raptors run. The people that the, the two corporations and Larry Tannenbaum that that own the team understand the revenues that can that can come out of this and and what it means for the ownership to have a team mm-hmm. go deep. I mean, it's there. The template is there, and the Leafs just don't want to step into it. I mean. So if you're in charge here, I mean, what do you do? This is such a, you know, a lot of people will just, oh, trade this guy, trade that guy. But, you know, these are these are uh, heavy-duty contracts. They're not easily moved, and you have to make sure you win the trade. Yeah. No, no. The, the, the value of winning, the reputation that it brings you, and all of that is so significant long-term. I mean – the Raptors' reputation as a basketball organization was enhanced 100%. Yeah. And the Leafs now are in a position where they're going to have to have a retuning of reputation because their reputation is not one too many people want to lug around. Yeah, it's just it's an odd odd situation. Bill, I want to thank you for giving us your time all season long. Uh, 
This concludes our run. As as the lease got eliminated last night, we are now on the sidelines. <laughs> Thanks yeah. very much, Paul. Oh, you're welcome, uh, Jimmy. I pl- we planned on it being longer, but sometimes you get disappointed. Yeah, well, that's that's a perfect way to end it. Thanks a lot, buddy. Down the hall we go. This is Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey at NBC Sports Edge. All right, Gus, I have two words for you. What? Why? All right, let's start with the what's. So you're comfortably ahead, three to one in this series. Yeah. You've put together a plan that essentially focuses on your best skill set. The fact that you're able to put a lot of scoring chances and shots on net, and you know that you're going up against one of the best goaltenders in the world, if not the best, that's debatable. But then you collapse. And instead of doing the things that gave you success in the first four games, albeit the game one was one of those crazy situations where a shorty late in the game decides it, they start playing down to Montreal's level. Instead of using the skills, instead of using the strategy and the tactics that they were using in the first four games, speed down the wings, stretching out their defense, knowing that there is a lot of big log jam in the neutral zone and especially along the Montreal blue line, chipping pucks and getting to those pucks to begin a cycle, they decided that, now nah, we're going to try to pace ourselves the same way Montreal did. And Montreal took that defensive stance. They tried to grind a game out. And Mont- and the Leafs, instead of trying to, to, to bring it to them and put their offense down their throats, decided, now nah, we should start grinding out as well because, you know, the series is up. And, and they started playing scared. They started playing to they they started playing to a very undisciplined and penalties aren't necessarily undisciplined. You start breaking the strategy and you start breaking the structure and the rotation, especially the way that coaching expects you to play. And we'll get to coaching because coaching is another sore spot. Yes, it is. And now you're playing down to your opponent. I mean, we've been seeing this since the 80s, the least playing down to their opponent. So they decided to start playing this grinding game that just did not suit them. Um, they kept everything to the outside, and it's the credit is going a lot to Montreal, but it's Toronto that deliberately kept everything to the outside. You look at their shot maps and their heat maps and everything from game five and onwards, and they get nowhere inside the dots. You can't compete yeah. if you don't put players in places where they can score goals. So the what is really... They abandoned their game plan. They did not adjust structurally or tactically at all throughout the series to their advantage. They did it to their detriment. And it cost them a series. Ahead 3-1 comfortably, playing in a style that you know that you can. And even with those overtime losses, you still should have been able to pull ahead, but they didn't. They ended up playing a very different non-Toronto Maple Leaf style, and they just got burned because of it. Okay, so I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at you here uh, in, in, in orderly fashion. Okay. Um, you're, in, you're going into game five. You're in the driver's seat. You've won three straight. You lead the series three games to one. You don't start properly. You admit after the game that you weren't, you know, the team wasn't ready. How is that possible? Well, I, I think I can understand it now because I've had some time to think about it. They actually weren't good in any of the first periods, but they got they away were. with it. That's correct. So a slow start is indicative of something that they're just not ready to play. But I'm going to throw out another theory here, too. So 
especially in game six, because you're right, game five was a bit of an anomaly, but let's just focus on game six for a moment. They come out flat once again in the first period. Perfect. After knowing what happened in game five, yep. they don't come out to a deeper level of, of work ethic, whatever you want to call it. You can't start the way that you started in game five, but that's exactly how they start. So I, I was thinking about this. Why would they do that? So Montreal, absolutely, absolutely, their backs are against the wall. It's 3-2. They have no choice. They have to come out gangbusters. So those first 10 minutes are going to be a non-slot. They're going to be a barrage. So the team that fizzles out because they burn out really, really quick, that was what Montreal was supposed to be. And Toronto yeah. was supposed to be able to just play their game, pace it at their specific pace to be able to say, okay, we're just going to continue and coming at you in waves and you guys do whatever you have to do to kind of burn yourself out and, and out hit us and do whatever you have to do after those first 10 minutes, because exactly to your point, those first 10 minutes of every single game were just Montreal's favor, but Montreal wasn't lending up. They weren't relenting. They weren't the same Montreal team that fell back and turtled over the last four games. Now, all of a sudden, they're pressing, and they're pressing harder. And there was no way that the Leafs were able to adjust to that. So right off the first period in game six, you saw something completely different coming out of Toronto. The coaching staff did not adjust. They instead decided to go and do a more grinding style. They broke away from what made them successful. And that first period in game six was indicative of the fact that they just changed everything completely because now instead of Toronto being up against, sorry, Montreal being up against the wall, it was almost as if the Leafs were afraid of losing. You can't play that way. It just, it just became a debacle after that. You can't start slow and you can't finish the way that they finished because that's the result that you get. Yeah, so, and, you know, I, here's what I wonder. I wonder, so a reporter asks you about the start, and then you're going to admit you weren't ready. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just move to, hey, look, we rallied, we tied the game, we lost it on a fluky play in overtime, and we'll get him in the next game. Don't, I'm not, I, you can't admit to me that you weren't ready. You have to move on. It's, it's over. It's past. Nothing you can do about it. The other thing is uh, Sheldon Keith after game four, which I consider to be a perfect game, a 4 nothing win on the road by the Leafs. Mm -hmm. A uh, reporter asked him, uh, you know, slow starts uh, seem to do well, Why are you doing all the scoring in the second period? Well, you know, we um, we assess what's going on in the first period, make our tweaks, and, the, and they work out in the second, and the third we get through it. Why would you ever admit that? The answer is, we're, we're, I'm not happy with our starts. we got to work on that. So the fact is that you aren't happy with your starts and you're just trying to feel out the other team and then make tweaks and adjustments along the way. Why can't you implement your game plan and say, you know what, make the other team force them to do the tweaks and adjustments. Why would well, I need to do that? Yeah. Well, who's the better team here? I mean, come on. Well, that's the exactly yeah. the point yeah. being here. If I'm the Goliath and this person is the David, then I'm going to squash David before I give David an opportunity to sling me with a uh, uh with a pebble yes. it just doesn't yes. work that way <laughs> yes if you had your medication I, I, it's, you know right look okay so so let's do the lesson and and this is where when when you're my age and you're you're a little younger than me you may remember this uh but i go through like where have i seen this before well i've seen the leafs do this but the leafs were never the favorite team the leafs were the favorite team in game seven against montreal so let's go back to the borshevsky goal the, the borshevsky leafs team the Leafs have become Detroit in the early 90s. They couldn't get inside. The Leafs would just push them out. Here, take your 42 one-time shots. Pot fan will stop it. We'll clear it out, and we'll wait. Because in that seven-game series, the Leafs stunk in all seven games. They just, in four of them, they rallied at the end. 
We'll wait for our moment. We'll capitalize, score. Maybe it goes to overtime. Uh, game five and game seven went to overtime. And the three losses the Leafs had in that series, they were wiped off the face of the of the ice. They, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed in some of their losses. But that's that Detroit team is what the Leafs are now. Uh, you can go through. San Jose was like that. Washington was like that. Ottawa, to a degree, was like that. Washington is the cup winner, of course. San Jose and Ottawa, nope. And Detroit finally figured it out. But the Leafs do not have that window Detroit had. The Leafs, the Leafs have, what, a three-year window, and then that's it. And they have the salary cap of a team that's won consecutive Stanley Cups, and they can't get through the first round. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that particular series because I was thinking the exact same thing. It was a shoveled day bad play away from just not not yeah. getting anywhere there. You know, bad overtime plays from Detroit as well. Um, it, it's just, as a Leaf fan, you revel in it. As a Detroit fan, it's a growing pain towards a, a multiple uh, years of Stanley Cup championships. Now, the Leafs don't have that multiple years of Stanley Cup championships. There's just... You can't do it in a salary cap area. You could be competitive, but to win the cup is a very special, special road. And it's, it takes a lot of randomness to, to to really fall into your favor in order to kind of get to that kind of a championship. So now they have um, four players that are essentially going to be driving the bus here. Now, are those four players going to be driving the bus? Tavares is not going to be the same John Tavares that he's been. He's clearly slowed down, and, and I expect more of a slowdown. So that window that may have been four or five years when they signed him is now very limited. You yeah. see the flawed, the flawed play in Mitch Marner, and now something has to be addressed there. I don't know what the answer is. I know that everybody wants him moved and traded and all that, and, but it's not as simple as that. There's a lot of complicated factors there. Um, I'm fine with him coming back as a Toronto Maple Leaf, but he needs to play a different role, and his salary does not afford the Leafs to put him in a different role. So there's that catch-22. To me, I think that the biggest thing right now, especially in that window, is what do you do with coaching? You had a power play that for half a season fizzled out and there was no adjustments whatsoever. How can you possibly move forward with a coaching staff that wasn't able to understand the flaws within their system and be so stubborn to move ahead with any kind of tweaks? So that window is now three years. That three-year window is going to be a lot – it's going to close a lot quicker if they're not able to answer these specific questions. What do you do about coaching? What do you do about Mitch Marner? And is there really anything else that they really need to do? There are lots of questions today that I think that we're going to have to sort out over the next few weeks. Well, and, and just based on what you said there, here are two problems, two red flags for me. First of all, let me throw this out. The power play, the erosion of the power play was the start of the end for this team because it made other factors of the team try and compensate for it. And it, it starts an unravel that, that just, it's, it's, it's a sad unravel. The other thing is, because of the failure of this team to advance, I think we've been we've been distracted from the original goal. The original goal is for this team to win a Stanley Cup. This team cannot get out of the first round. And all you have to do is watch the other playoff series, watch the Otters in Boston. The Leafs would never have a 3-1 series lead against either one of those teams. No way. Uh, you know, Colorado and Vegas, forget about it. They are not, you know, as much as there's concern that the Leafs have to take the next step, of course they do, but they're far away from where those other four teams are. Yeah, there's a, I, I mean, the, from my perspective, I expected them to, to just walk through the North Division. They would struggle a little bit because of the series, but they would end up beating these, at least win two rounds. Once they got to the higher level competition of the Colorados and the, and the Tampa Bays and the Bostons, right. they'd absolutely find themselves in a position where they're just completely outmatched. They can run and gun with the best of them. 
but running and gunning is what got them into trouble over the last three games or the inability to play that way. So Colorado, especially that first game against Vegas, you see that six, one victory. It's because they decided we're going to lay the boots to Vegas and we're going to show them that we're just going to dominate and we're just going to go move right ahead. They're ready. They got their goaltending. They got a solid, solid blue line, Tampa Bay, the same thing, goaltending, solid, solid blue line. So the Leafs blue line has improved a bit, but now we're expecting changes. You can't expect Morgan Riley to be the same Morgan Riley that he is. They're going to have to bring in new players in Dermot. Or, well, there's still question marks in Dermot. Sandine's going to need a bigger role. Lilligren is probably going to get uh, promoted. So there are steps that Toronto still has yet to take to get into that contention mode. And if we had played a completely full 82-game regular season, even with the divisions the way that they are, but at least giving them a taste of what the competition is outside of the Canadian borders, they would have been much better prepared in the playoffs. But now they're done. Yeah, they are. And the other thing is when you watch those other teams, and I think it would have lined up that had they gotten through and and beaten Winnipeg, which is a bit of an order, but if they'd gotten through, I I think it would track out that they were supposed to play Tampa in the next round. Good luck with that. But but anyway, that aside, uh, you know, if the flaw is, uh, and, and I don't mind people making money because they're entitled to, and and people don't, they get they get market value, and, and that's just the nature of the beast. But as soon as they re-sign Hyman, they're going to have five players making 46 million bucks. Cap is at 81. I mean, this do, this does not add up. I think they have something like 12 million in cap space today with 14 players signed. So obviously, Hyman's going to soak up 50% of that. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the problem, I mean, you, you can deal with Matthews and Marner. That's that's the headline problem. But when I look at the third and fourth line, I go look at Tampa, go look at the Islanders, go look at Boston. I need six guys down there that will skate through a brick wall. They don't have to be the most talented guys, but they have to exhaust you with their forecheck, with their effort, with their back check. They will burn you out because they're, they're trying to make a name for themselves. And that's a big void for me on the Leafs roster. Yeah, I'll add another piece to that too. They've handcuffed themselves by forcing them to have to play Joe Thornton. They could have picked another player. They could have brought somebody else. They could have taken the season to determine who's to play in that spot and found somebody at the trade deadline. Instead, they promised Joe Thornton a, a spot. And I mean, we love the story of Joe Thornton. And it sure. was it was great when he was signed and and the nostalgia and all of that. And and you know, but the reality here is, is this what a contending team does? It does after it's suffered these kind of losses on their way to being consistent contenders. Tampa Bay could have signed Joe Thornton. Why would the Leafs do something like that? Jason yeah. Spezza, on the other hand, knowing that he still has gas, he still can play, can still... I mean, he was playing 10 minutes a game and scoring at a, ph- a phenomenal pace. So you can find players at that bottom end to supplement your roster. So the the additions that Tampa Bay has made, the additions that Colorado has also made, those are additions that they've had to kind of go through the market and understand where they are and how they can fit them into their, their current roster. Having that top end being very, very heavy, and especially if they add Hyman on top of all of that, um, it's going to be very difficult to fit in a bunch of uh, depth players. And you know, depth scoring is also one of the things that kind of kill Toronto. If Matthews and Marner weren't scoring at the beginning, those first four games, they had one goal, one goal. Yeah. William Nealander stepped up. Travis Derm, uh, um, uh, Alex Kerfoot stepped up. Right. So you had some of your depth that was contributing, and then it dried up. So now you have no goal scoring coming from anywhere. That's why those teams like Tampa Bay's and the Boston's and the and the Colorado's of today, they have enough of a 
a, a containment unit that even if they aren't scoring, they're not being scored upon. And Toronto really has to fix that that soft little area that they have right at the bottom. And I thought that they could do that structurally. I thought that coaching and tactics and um, the way that they were able to kind of put players in and out of the lineup and, and still play a similar type of game, I guess that works in the regular season. But when you're in the playoffs and video is prevalent and you have the same people moving over and over and over and you have coaches that are able to kind of key in on certain aspects, you need a better depth unit. Well, I, yeah, I agree with you. I just, I still struggle with, um, you know, it's not like um, you're playing Montreal for the first time. You have tons of video on this team. You know exactly what they're going to do. You saw it pretty well every time they played you. They're going to try and stick to you. They're going to try and cancel out your offense because that's all they can do. There's nothing else they can do. They can do that. Um, if you have Corey Perry in your team, he's going to look at a guy on the ice and I'm going to run him. That was Sandine. I'm going to run him. And, and sure enough, like, you don't know it's going to work. You're running the cops up the puck. Well, okay, there's a target on him, right? And, and what else does Corey Perry do? What gets him into the Hall of Fame? Stands at the top of the crease. Knock him out. I mean, come on, on, on the, the power play goal in game seven, he's, he's there all alone. Like, move him out. That, that's his office. If Gretzky's is behind the net, Corey Perry is right on the crease line. Yeah, I, just, I don't was. understand why, why there isn't any attention to detail there. Well, that's a coaching issue, isn't it? Like, I mean, to me, I think that you have to identify that through video and then you tell your players, how can you allow this to happen when you're on the ice? Or now we see what's happening on the ice. You need to be much more cognizant of. So is it the coaching wasn't able to give them the message? The players weren't able to execute? And I think that that's a percentage of both. Um, yeah. at, the same, at the same time, too, um, I find that a lot of what Toronto tried to do they were not necessarily thwarted by montreal they just outplayed themselves they put themselves in position to forcibly go on the outside they never went in on the inside it's all self-inflicted it's completely self-inflicted it it if you gave montreal the benefit of the doubt that they played such a phenomenal series that they put a, a contending team that's not exactly what happened that's the narrative that's out there but that's not what happened toronto stepped on its own foot tripped smashed its face doesn't know how to do anything now and it just wasn't able to move forward and you can use injuries as an excuse no jake muzzin no john Tavares, and all of that but they should have been able to play structurally and strategically better than montreal based on the talent level alone that they were able to insert into the lineup. But that's why I say they played down to the talent level of Montreal. So you get to a point now where you just there's, – there's so many questions here, Jim, that I don't even know where to begin to assess where yeah. they can move forward from until we see at least one major move. That major move could be either a coaching change. I don't want people to lose their jobs. That's, that's not what I'm here for. But effectiveness is effectiveness or a major trade. One of those two things have to happen in order for the Leafs to potentially move ahead. So now we're going to at a sit and wait stage where we need to find out what Montre uh, what Toronto management has in store and how they're going to move ahead from here. Look, I said this a couple of times uh, on other uh, venues. And so uh, if you spin back to the Raptors in 2018, similar story, but they could get through the first round, but their exits always left you wanting more. It's like, Wow, they were just flatline at some point. And the problem with the basketball team was uh, DeMar and Kyle. The front court wasn't very good, so this is iso ball. Make those two guys handle the ball, and then we can shut them down. So, in other words, a one-dimensional offense. Great regular season. Had the coach of the year, no longer acceptable. Fire the coach of the year, trade DeMar, bring in Kawhi and a few other pieces, and away you go. Uh, then it was said at the time, need a culture change. 
the Leafs need a culture change because clearly uh, not having the ability to finish a team off is chronic. It goes back uh, a number. It goes back a number of years. Like that game, game seven. We've seen that so many times. It's the same game. Believe me, I, I compare them to Detroit. This is this. You know, the Leafs were the underdogs in, in the other series, but it's the same thing. Oh, we're not supposed to be here. Guess what? You're not. You're out. Uh, so so I, I don't know what the culture change is. Because it's easy to say trade this guy or that guy. I don't know what it is, but they have to do something that leaves a mark. So there's the narrative also that they've now lost five times in the first round. So first round was uh, against Washington. They took Washington to overtime five of those six games. They lost. They weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs that year. Right. Yeah. So it's a learning. We'll let that go. Second uh, year in a row, they play against a superior Boston team. They take them to seven games, but they were completely outcoached, outclassed. You could see that Mike Babcock was way over his head. Cassidy had him in every step of the way. Every tactic that Babcock did, Cassidy accounted. In the third instance, though, this is where that killer instinct that you just mentioned started to, to to show its ugly head. They're up 3-2 yeah. in the series. They should have put their foot down on Boston's throat and ended it. They had two chances to do so. They did not. That spills yeah. over into the following season. Now yeah. they're in, Now they're against Columbus, which did the exact same thing that Montreal did right now. Clog the middle, keep the Leafs to the outside where they were absolutely happy to roam um, with no intentions of trying to generate stuff. And there were no adjustments, no tactics changes back in Columbus and it's the same thing this year so I give Babcock the problem of those two game seven losses against Boston because he just wasn't able to adapt he wasn't good enough to outplay and outcoach the Boston Bruins coaching staff now in this situation Sheldon Keefe has shown the very same thing two years in a row Columbus keeps him to the outside they're happy to do so Montreal keeps him to the outside they're happy to do so there are tactics and strategies there are ways to kind of move players out of their comfort zone, force them into making spots available for your team, and the Leafs just haven't been able to do so. So there are limitations on their players. There are soft spots on that roster, and there are definite issues at the coaching level that aren't allowing them to, to get to that point where um, I, I'm not really as familiar on the basketball side, but I understand the point. You remove yeah. some components to insert better components and move ahead but I don't know what those components are because they can't strategically compete against inferior clubs. You have to kind of move baby steps in this point, but you have a three-year window. And then like, how do you do that? How do you put both of those pieces together to become well, a championship quality team through baby steps? And with that salary cap issue, I don't, I don't know where it goes. It's going to be fun to watch. Gus, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, there's Mike Ross, and time is now becoming a factor. Yes Guy, No Guy Awards, and Yes Guy has the day off. Marner and Matthews, an absolute no guy in this series. Don't know what the heck happened there for Marner. This streak goes back a couple of years now, and boy, when you're paying those two guys that kind of money, and they deserve the money, I'm not, I'm not crying about that, but when they are held off the score sheet, that's a big void. Throw in the power play, that's a big void, so... I have to say no guy. Unfortunately, they're great hockey players, but no guy. Blowing a 3-1 series lead when you are the favorite team, the better team. An absolute no, no, no guy. Don't do that. And first round itis. Oh, guy. Come on. Seriously? No guy. Well, hope you enjoyed episode 41. And thank you for your support of Leafs guy all season long.